Welcome to Deep Tech 315. I'm Gene along with Doug. Our three topics today are the release of Cybertruck, second Elon Musk comments related to open AI and the broader threat of AI. And lastly, we'll talk about uh, Elon Musk's comments relative to Disney and them going an F to go F themselves. So we'll bring it back to the top. The first topic is Cybertruck, something I've been waiting for for a long time. I placed my order back in November of 2019. As soon as that ball broke the glass, I thought, I think I'm going to give this thing a shot here. And I would just, spoiler alert, Doug, we haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I'm going to ask for that refund on that order. The price was just outside of what I was comfortable with. I thought I was going to come in uh, at 80000 for the tricked out version. They call it Cyber Beast. It's 100K. And the more affordable version, which I was hoping would be out next year, but being the $50,000, $60,000 version, at 60 initially, isn't going to be out until uh, 2025 and a three-wheel drive. That just doesn't work in, in Minnesota. And I've got a nice uh, Ram uh, truck that, that's working uh, great gas for me. Powered. So, pardon? Gas-powered gas powered. truck. Yeah, it is gas-powered. Yeah. The quick aside is that as I was watching the video and seeing the different features within, I mean, the price didn't come out to the end, but uh, I didn't tell you about this, Doug, but I backed my truck up and hit the very edge of a construction sign. It was parallel parking. The sign came over, crashed, and I got about a $1,500 dent in the side of my pickup. If I'd have Cybertruck, that probably wouldn't have even been a scratch. So put that in the category of a cool feature, but it's just outpriced the market. It's expensive. And I think the other thing that is uh, worth thinking about in the context of the launch is talk about Cybertruck, you know, first heard about it several years ago. And now we've got these 2 million plus reservations. I think it's a million plus. That's the funny thing. Was it a million? I thought thought it crept over that. It says it's 2 million, but Tesla says it's 1 million plus. I I take Tesla's number. Yeah. The bottom line though, is you think about what's happened with interest rates from when Cybertruck was announced to now when it's finally coming out the world is in a completely different place. We had zero rates essentially for much of the time as we were thinking about Cybertruck launch. I think people putting deposits down and you talk about price, 100K with a 0% rate environment when you're talking about auto loans that maybe are low single digits annualized is very different than a world now where we're talking about high single digits or even, even above that in terms of rates. So that's going to have an impact in terms of how many get delivered. That's not an indictment on the truck. I think the truck is cool. It's definitely unique. Um, but you know, I do think the rate environment might tamper a little bit of those pre-orders ultimately coming through. My, my big picture sense here is two takeaways. Number one is that this is going to be a sideshow for the next couple of years. The, I think they'll do 35,000 or less vehicles next year maybe 75, 125 in 2025, it starts to really ramp in 26. And so think of this as like a Model S or X for the next few years, but eventually the price has to come down. Tesla wants this to be a mainstream vehicle. They got to get that price closer to the F-150. A typical F-150, albeit not as good of a car, runs about 10K less. So they need to really hit that 50, 60K price point. There is another uh, another kind of vector to this whole conversation about Cybertruck and all that's anticipated. And that's basically that they're ultimately they're doing a lot when it comes to uh, innovation around the truck. Granted, it's really expensive, but this this battery share feature where you
just thinking, well, if I just get the truck, then I can save my 12 grand on a battery pack. Like those, that was like innovative features. They got a 240 uh, 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 plug in the back of this thing. I mean, like you dry clothes out of this. I mean, it's pretty, pretty wicked what they're doing. And that just stands uh, in contrast to me to what traditional auto is doing, which I feel like they're just kind of like iPhone upgrade cycle. It's just kind of, kind of marching, marking time where I give Tesla credit for at least getting out there and, and being innovative. I think they've always, they've always carried that flag. Uh, and that's something that I think they'll continue to carry. I don't know that traditional auto will ever be the most innovative. I would also say though, I don't know how useful or how many people are going to buy a Cybertruck just because they could plug a dryer into it. I don't think that's a killer feature. I think it is, it is cool. It is cool, but I don't think that people are going to make that the trade-off between if they want a Lightning or a Cybertruck. I think it's going to come down a little bit to something more simple, which is, do you love the design and the aesthetic of the Cybertruck, which is very mm -hmm. unique, or do you like a traditional pickup where I believe actually the bed on the Lightning is a little bit bigger and more utilitarian than the Cybertruck? And so yeah, it is. I think you're going to have you're going to have use case differences. You're going to have mm -hmm. um, aesthetic differences. Those are going to be much more important than some of these other features that, while cool, I don't think are going to be the deciding factor if people are really making choices between a Cybertruck and a Lightning or you know, a Rivian. So that, that, that pad, that this, the height of the side of the bed's a huge deal with my truck. I, on a weekly basis, I'm putting hand and stuff over when I'm getting in the truck, throwing it in the back there. And I think that is something that's probably like this biggest X factor that I think may hinder it from being a mainstream. They got to fix that, that piece of it. So uh, let's shift to our second topic, which is uh, the deal book summit. Uh, a New York Times Steelbook Summit and Elon Musk's interview. There was a lot there. Uh, the first piece that is uh, made the Deep Tech 315 was related to some of his comments related to OpenAI. And they were kind of along this line that they're, he's, they're taking copyright information. He said that they're just lying when they're not saying that they're taking copyright information. My sense is they probably are. Uh, that Elon's right that OpenAI probably is training on that. And I don't know. Does it matter? At this point, I don't think it matters. I think it's one of those genie out of the bag sort of things. Uh, almost like if you think back to Google and search, and I think there was a lot of debate at one point about news and, you know, can Google distribute news? It's, it's in one ways it's good for the news publications because they get distribution from the biggest platform on the planet. On the other side, does it hurt their ability to monetize from an advertising standpoint, things like that? And I think we've seen news evolve much more toward paid subscriptions and a little bit away from advertising, probably as a result of some of Google's actions. So to bring that back to the AI piece, I mean, certainly, and we, we saw this with Twitter and then ultimately threads, some of the throttling that we've talked about in the past, where there are bots that go and they're just ripping information off of social networks, they're ripping information off of Reddit, so certainly these, these, uh, these models are being trained on some information that they probably shouldn't be. I just don't know how that will change. I mean, yeah. will we eventually see agreements in place between you know, an OpenAI or an Anthropic um, or Google and some of these other providers to access data? Maybe that's what it ultimately turns out being and it's just an economic thing, but I don't think that's gonna slow down the development of these models in any meaningful way. My, my thought too came on that it's really hard to track this. It's going to be hard to, you know, litigate where this copyright goes. And 
ultimately is that this idea of kind of siloed data, I guess that's different than copyrighted data, is that siloed data is still going to be siloed. That's probably still a competitive advantage for certain uh, businesses that can capitalize on on siloed data. So that's this is really two different things we talk silo data versus copyrighted data. But in the end, it, my my sense is that it was uh, for me it was just kind of the latest jab between Elon and OpenAI, and I think that uh, you know he's got a bone to pick there, and this kind of seems to be it's not a huge deal, but it seems to be his latest, and probably in a few weeks he'll have some other bone to pick with him. Well, and I think I think Grok is still the one of the most exciting things in AI. That's a total wild card right now. Like it, it really Why? hasn't. What's the big wild card about it? Well, because it is taught specifically and intentionally on the trove of Twitter data. So you think about what is OpenAI learned on. It's learned on the vast expanse of the internet, all the good and bad that that comes with. Grok is really. I think going to be trained in a much more real time way. It's going to have a more probably real time feel like the actual conversations that are happening on Twitter, which is the most real time social network of all the social networks. That's the kind of data that's going to be going into power Grok. And so I think that's fundamentally in some ways, in some use cases, more interesting than what OpenAI will ultimately do, what Gemini will ultimately be powered on. Um, so Grok, to, by the way, it's going to be a, this is going to be a foundational model, just like the other yep. four foundational models. Exactly. And I think if you think about the foundational models, I mean, OpenAI, right, they've, they've created advantage through uh, reinforcement learning. I think they've spent more and they've done more, uh, you know, reinforcement learning through human feedback than any other company in the world. I think that is really what's created their biggest advantage, OpenAI. Google's got, you know, two decades worth of data of consumers literally saying, I want to see this, show me this, and then clicking on things to show them when Google's right. And so that's going to be a huge advantage for them. Likewise, I think Grok with that Twitter data, that is something that's wholly unique versus some of these other foundational models. And so as that starts to roll out more and become more widespread, I know there's been some people maybe who are skeptics that are teasing because it's got this sort of maybe Elon persona. It's, it's got a little edge to it, but forget the edge. Let's just see what the, what the service mm-hmm. actually does. And if it does something unique and interesting, that could be another kind of layer, another step forward in this AI race. Lightning round. Do you think Elon's view of, you'll let you go first here. Do you think Elon's view of wanting to be more metered and measured around the rollout of AI more broadly is going to change how aggressively he's going to roll out Rock? And what Rock can do? I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. I, I think, you know, he has been. To, to be fair to him, he has consistently sort of talked about his concerns about what could happen with AI. I mean, that's why he was one of the big founders, one of the original funders of OpenAI, you know, almost mm-hmm. a decade ago. And so I think it is a genuine concern for him. But I'll go back to the whole genie out of the bottle idea, right? Like all these other companies are doing it. And at some point, my guess is he's a very logical person. He's going to say, well, yeah, I could sit back and wait and be quote unquote responsible, or I can take the technology we've built and put it out into the world and kind of see how the world uses it. And it feels more like that's probably what's going to happen, despite what he says about, you know, being safe and, and the imperatives of safety around AI. Mm-hmm. I'm in your camp. I, I don't know when safety ever has stopped him from doing anything. I look at FSD. I mean, that that is not safe. Uh to be out in beta, and yet he sees the benefit of pushing it to 
get to what it ultimately should be, which is cars should drive themselves. And so I think his history is that he wants to really promote this technology. I think he's going to be all over it, which gets to uh, one of the uh, bigger topics of the week here, Elon and telling advertisers to go F themselves. I was uh, initially shocked and then thoroughly entertained by it. I, I uh, admit that I watched the video many times and just enjoyed uh, the concept of somebody standing up to big advertisers that, I don't know, that just uh, appealed to me. And um, my, my thought is just like what, you know, beyond just the pageantry of the whole thing, does it, does it mean anything for his brand? It's a good move for his brand. I think net net it probably is. I mean, he, over the last couple of years, really, it seems like he's embraced being a polarizing figure, you know, love me or hate me, but you know, don't, don't not care about me is, has sort of been his mentality. I mean, in some ways you think about what works on Twitter, conflict is what works on Twitter. I mean, that's what Twitter is. It's this real time conflict social network. And I think in a way like his persona lends well to that. He, in, in some ways, maybe by extension, is the perfect owner of Twitter because he embodies what the, the network stands for. And so I think he's just kind of taking it to the extreme. And, and I would say, like, I've heard various different debates about, you know, the advertisers really don't need X, which I think is true. They can go and just reallocate those dollars elsewhere and probably get similar or maybe even better return on their spend. So it's not just about you know, them leaving X for any economic or performance reasons. I think what Elon's taking issue with and fairly is that they're making this political statement around, you know, being uh, moral and saying we don't want to promote hate and these other things. And I think he takes uh, I think he takes a strong yeah. objection to that. You know, he went out and he said he said something wrong, number one. Uh, and number two, uh, if these advertisers really do care about avoiding platforms that supposedly spread hate, they absolutely shouldn't be advertising on TikTok. They absolutely shouldn't be advertising on Instagram. Those are bigger platforms. They spread just as much hate, if not more. And there's been some recent studies that they may actually spread more hate. And so I think there's, there's just a hypocrisy he saw validly and said, hey, guys, like, you know, F you. Mm -hmm. My head scratcher here will end on this was Disney shares were actually up fractionally the day after the market was down. I was thinking they're going to get some cancellations of uh, streaming service based on this. So I um, can't wait to hear Disney's next earnings call to see if they uh, talk just about that. I can say we will be talking again before Disney's next earnings. We'll see you next week on behalf of Doug and Gene and Deep Tech 315. Bye for now.